Shelley Goulet uh, was from Casper, Wyoming. She received a letter from her husband one day with a bouquet of flowers. It was on Valentine's Day. She was shocked. Because her husband died eight months earlier. So she, she didn't even have the uh, courage to, to inquire herself. She had her children inquire at the florist, how did this happen? Her husband, knowing he was going to die, went to the florist and wrote a series of letters to her and instructions to send her flowers on Valentine's Day every year until she died. Can you imagine how your hands would tremble to read a letter from a person who had died? Even more, should our hands tremble when we read a letter from a person who died and who rose again. Today we have in our hands a letter to a church from one who died and rose again. The risen, glorious Christ has something to say to the churches. Let him who has ear to hear, hear what the Spirit says to the churches. In every age, there's probably a church that corresponds with the churches in the letters of Revelation. And in every congregation, there's probably a person whose heart corresponds with the heart condition of the church in Revelation. Today, we've reached the end of our, our series of letters to the churches, the church of Laodicea, and the letter is found in Revelation chapter 3, verses 14 through 23. And with trembling heart, let's read the letter to the church of Laodicea. To the angel of the church in Laodicea write the words of the Amen, the faithful and true witness, the beginning of God's creation. I know your works. You are neither hot nor uh, cold nor hot. Would that you were cold or hot. So because you are lukewarm and neither hot nor cold, I will spit you out of my mouth. For you say, I'm rich, I've prospered, I need nothing not realizing that you are wretched, pitiable, poor, blind, and naked. I counsel you to buy from me gold refined by fire so that you may be rich and white garments so that you may clothe yourself and the shame of your nakedness may not be seen and salve to anoint your eyes so that you may see those whom I love I reprove and discipline so be zealous and repent. Behold, I stand at the door and knock. If anyone hears my voice and opens the door, I will come in to him and eat with him and he with me. The one who conquers, I will grant him to sit with me on my throne, as I also conquered and sat down with my father on his throne. He who has an ear, let him hear what the Spirit says to the churches. You know this if you, if you study the revelation of Jesus Christ carefully, that there are lots of sevens in it. It's, it's a book built around sevens. These seven churches each have a letter that has seven sections. And this makes the structure of the sermon really easy. If we just follow that, we go through these seven things and we mine riches out of this letter from Jesus with, with a trembling heart. May God give us a sober approach to this letter to see if we find ourselves in it. Here's the greeting, the greeting to the angel or the messenger of the church of Laodicea. What was Laodicea like? Well, 
They had whatever they needed. They were wealthy. They, were, they had a strong economy. They were a center of, of commerce and of banking. They were famous for a kind of black wool that was rare. And people traveled there from far away for medicinal purposes for a special eye salve. Keep those three things in mind. What is true about the identity of Jesus? He says the words, three things. The words of the amen, the faithful and true witness, the beginning of God's creation. The amen, the faithful and true witness, the beginning of God's creation. It is as if Jesus wants to identify himself to this church as very God, a very God, as if his deity and authority were being challenged. And when Bible scholars have compared the letter to Colossae and the reference in Colossians to read the letter to the church of Laodicea, which is 10 miles away, and assume that the error, the doctrinal error that was in Colossae was also the doctor, doctrinal error that was in Laodicea, and suggest by studying that, that they were weak on the authority and on the deity of Christ. And this is really true with all churches that were once alive and are now dead. Most of them have re-examined their doctrine of Christ and have come up short of what the Bible says about who Jesus is. Or they've re-examined their doctrine of the Bible, they've come up short on what the Bible says about what the Bible is. And they still call themselves churches and they look like churches and they do church-like things. And to the common observer, they appear to be churches, but they're dead and they make God sick. And he stands on the outside of those churches and he asks, can I come in to my church? And this was true there. He says he's the amen. In other words, the one who validates all truth. That God, if we say amen, we mean so be it. This is true. We validate this. Jesus is identifying himself as the one who validates all that God says. Puts the amen on that. In his life, in his teaching, he's the faithful and the true witness. And He's the beginning or origin or ruler of God's creation. And this is ambiguous in the original language, but clear when you compare it to the passage in Colossians. He's saying Jesus Christ was before all things. And so if you put these three things together, he's saying to the Laodicean church, which has Jesus on the outside, I was here before anything started. I'll be here after everything is over and I sustain everything in between. I am the Lord of everything, and I need to be the Lord of the church, and I need to be your Lord. And this, never, this is a truth that never gets old, right? What, how important and valuable it is for all of us every day to remind ourselves that Jesus is very God, a very God, and what he says is the truth of God, and he himself is God and always will be. And that answers a lot of questions in our lives, and this is, what he, this is how he identifies himself what did the church in Laodicea do right? Literally, he lists nothing. In Sardis, he listed nothing, but later on he said, there are some saints in you, some believers, but not in Laodicea. What did they do wrong? Verses 15 and through 17. He says, I remember in every church, he says, I know, I see. And it's important for us to remember, there's nothing he doesn't see, good or evil. He says, I know that you are not hot and you are not cold. You are you're useless. In a city nearby, there's a triad of cities, Colossae and Hierapolis and Laodicea. In these cities, you probably know this from studying this, Colossae was, was fed by mountain streams, and their water source was pure and cold and coveted. And Hierapolis was famous for having healing springs, and people would travel to Hierapolis because of the hot water 
works, the Colossae, because of the cold water. In Laodicea, there was an aqueduct system that piped water. By the time it got that, it had a foul smell, and it was lukewarm. It was well known for having bad water. Jesus, knowing the church well, uses that as a spiritual analogy and says, when you deny my authority, when you refuse to repent, when you mistreat who I am, when you don't recognize who I am, it, I'm on the, and I'm on the outside, it makes me sick, you know, like your water. We lived in a little town we liked called Riverview, Michigan, before we moved here. And when the realtor uh, took us there, as a member of the church, he, he took us there, he and his wife took us to see this house. And I remember when we got there, I said, it smells funny. Do you smell that? I said to Lois, do you, do you smell that? Yeah, Lois says, yeah. And the realtor said, I don't smell... <laughs> I don't smell a thing. For years, we remembered that realtor going, really? I don't, I don't smell anything. Now, the realtor may have, had, may have been dishonest or had a bad smeller, but there was a smell in the air. And for the next 10 years that we lived there, every once in a while, we recognized that smell because not far away was a place that the locals called a ski slope. But what it really was was a mountain of Canadian trash. The locals called it Mount Trashmore because it was, uh, it was a, it was a uh, landfill that had been kind of modified into a sledding place, and they burned off the methane gas. Riverview was a nice little town, but it smelled bad from time to time. If you wrote that about Riverview, everybody that lived there would kind of laugh. They, yeah, that's true. Jesus is using a, a play on words in a really serious way. And yet, you know, you... you make me sick this church-less church-like thing and it would be important for us to ask ourselves if what we would say jesus is on the very heart in the very heart of our church are, are you sure or are you sure he's not standing outside wishing he could come into parts of the church he said jesus is the heart of my life are you sure are you sure he's not standing outside you know knocking on the door this is the thing we ought to be thinking, and the idea here is they know hot water is useful, cold water is useful, lukewarm water has no use, it's like tea, iced tea is good, hot tea is good, lukewarm tea, eh, not, not that useful. We used to live in a, uh, a valley uh, in, uh, in Ohio and on the end of a dead-end road uh, on a house that we leased from a Christian man named John Morgan. And John was a brilliant man, he was on the board at the Grace College and Seminary, at the Grace Seminary in Winona Lake, and he was a good Christian man, and it was a treat when he would come down and visit. We would always have fellowship, crawl under the house, hooking things up, doing things. And he was a well-educated man, PhD. Whenever he left, he would say, do you mind if I take a gallon of this water with me? I'm like, well, it's your water. He'd get a gallon jug and he would drink that water from the well. And then he would fill that gallon jug and he goes, I've never tasted sweeter water anywhere. I just love this water. And then you could just see him get in his old pickup truck and bounce down the road with this jug of sweet water that he got from, from Rutledge Road in Knox County, Ohio. Jesus is saying, if you're going to call yourself my church, you should be delightful to me. You should delight me. You should attend to what I believe is good and right. You should not worry so much about what other people think about the church as 
what I think about the church. The church should delight me. The church should be useful to me. The people of the church should always be thinking about that. Not, do I like this church? Does it meet my needs? Does it serve my purposes? Does this attract other people? But is Jesus the king of the church on the inside or is he on the outside? That's the thing we want to be asking. What was the threat? He said, if you won't repent in a moment, I'll show you that. I'll spit you out of my mouth and reject you altogether. This is a, this is a church, the Laodicean church, there's no evidence that the church really had converted people in it. I need to tell you this, I don't say it very often, and I think I need to tell you this, and, and you know, many of you may know this, but you, I think we should remind ourselves, we're not being unkind to other people, or we're not being ugly, censorious, or proud to just call things the way they are sometimes and say, if a church denies the authority of the Bible and the deity of Christ, it's not really a church at all. They may still have liturgy that has truth in it, they may still have forms that seem churchy, but it, if Jesus is on the outside saying, this makes me sick because you've denied the, my authority, you know, denied my deity, if you welcome things into the church that make me sick, how can you still put my name on that and call that a church? Now, I think it's important that we, I don't think anybody here wants to be arrogant or proud or censorious or ugly toward other people we don't want to be the kind of people that aren't willing to admit our own sin but this is something that we should be we should be careful to realize will affect the generations that follow us that we deeply love our children and our grandchildren will they go to churches that are really believe the bible is true and jesus is god or will we distort that to the point that Jesus is on the, on the outside, and on the inside, there's just a form of religion, but no power to convert, to make somebody's life holy. And so, you know, without being arrogant about that, that should drive us to our knees. It should cause our hearts to tremble and pray. When we read this, we should think, God, please let, never let me be called a Christian who isn't really a Christian, or our church be called a church. It's not really a church. They were known for their wealth. He says, in verse, look at verse 18. He says, um, uh, you say I'm rich. This is 17. I'm rich, I'm prospered, I don't need anything. You don't realize you're wretched and pitiable and poor and blind and naked. You, did you, have you ever had a friend that everybody knew something about them but them? And wouldn't you agree that's maybe to a degree true about all of us sometimes? Everybody knows about us but us this was certainly true of this church they had their means of evaluation look we we're rich we we have money we have people we have the you know the form of life he says no that's what you think but it's verse 17 again you don't think you need anything you don't realize you're wretched pitiable poor blind and naked my little grandson, Cohen, he passed through a phase in his life. If, did your kids go through this phase? When they were real little, they needed you for everything. And that was a blessing and a curse, right? I'm like, oh, but it was kind of a blessing, right? When you, when you think, here, let me help you with that. And how delightful it is to take a little chair up. You know, Come over here. Grandpa will fix that for you. But then he went through this phase when he would go, I got it. I got it. 
just like a little man. I'm like, where did he come up with that? He's about three, and he's like, I got it. I'm good. And he'd be trying to do something he couldn't do. He'd go, I got it. I'm good. <laughs> it's cute when a kid does that. It's not cute when somebody tells the God of the universe, I got this. He says, no, you don't got this. You need me for this. That's what he's telling this church. I counsel you to buy from me gold. You think you're rich? You buy real gold from me that's refined in fire, real value, so that you may be rich. White garments, in other words, you are famous for your black wool. You need, but you need a kind of garment you can't buy that you can't sell. Righteousness from me, glowing garments. And in a little bit later in the narrative in Revelation, you see the importance of that. You may clothe yourself, and the shame of your nakedness may not be seen. And then he says to them, uh, a salve to anoint your eyes. They're famous for this eye ointment. He says, you need to come to me for a salve to anoint your eyes. You, can't, you, can't, you aren't wealthy, you just think you're wealthy. And, and you're not clothed, you're naked, and you think you're clothed, and, you, and you, you can't see, you just think you can see. Now, right here, we should all stop and just say to the Lord, not just in this service now, but throughout this week, Lord, is any of that true about me? Is there a blind spot you show me? Is there a place where I'm naked and I think I'm clothed? Is there a place where I feel like I'm healthy, but I'm really, wouldn't it be, isn't, I think our, our loving Heavenly Father, the precious Holy Spirit, you, you that are Christians and you've been Christians for a while, you know this is the prayer that he will answer. If you go quietly before him, not bringing before him your husband's faults, your wife's faults, or the faults of the demonic Democratic Party or the wicked Republican Party or whatever, whoever your favorite whipping boy or girl is right now. But you, not my brother, not my sister, but it's me, oh Lord, standing in the need of prayer. And you say to the Lord, is there anything in my life that's not pleasing to you? I'm going to be quiet for a while. Let you talk, God. That would be good. I, I think that would be good. And then, some of you have, I think, especially sensitive conscience. And maybe an, it's possible to have an oversensitive conscience. And, 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 you, and, you, and you labor under false guilt for things that you shouldn't feel guilty about. And, and sometimes there's a cover for things you should feel guilty about. But, but, and then others that, you, you know, you kind of whistle through the graveyard of life without any concern for things you ought really to be concerned about. And that's why they say you know, the job of the prophet is to disturb the comfortable and comfort the disturbed. But whichever category you're in, ask the Lord to help you. So if you have a, have a really tender conscience, and, and then I would say the way to overcome a wrong understanding here is to examine yourself in the light of the righteousness of Christ and of the work on, his work on the cross. As, as dark as your past might be, against the, you know, the backdrop of Christ's uh, death and right, righteousness and grace. He loves you. He forgave you. He will forgive you. This, is, this will keep you from despair. Is, does that make sense? And so just a practical thought, and that is set aside some time. Maybe you could think right now about when you're going to do that this week, some morning, some evening, some quiet hour, and go take a walk. Take a drive in your car to the park and park and stop or get up early and get on your knees by the bed and just say, Lord, I just want to come before you. And I want you to show me if there's something I need to know. Is there a root of pride in my heart? Is there bitterness or unforgiveness? Is there uh, lust or greed? Or, uh, or, or is there some stubbornness that's, that's here? 
you might even be brave and ask people that you love that are that are uh, that live close to you or, or maybe people that are very godly that if they've seen something that you might not have seen this might this might not be easy for you this might be very hard but it might be very good faith are the wounds of a friend he says you think you're wealthy but you're not you need gold for me you think you're clothed but you're naked you think you can see but you can't and this says as many as i love i rebuke and chasten it's the evidence of his love and so he says i want you to be zealous in your repentance that's what it says verse this verse 18 um, those i love i reprove and discipline so be zealous and repent Ze real bible christians jesus people have a zeal in the way they repent would you be described that way when was the last time that you repented and when was the last time you sinned and did the people that live with you see that you're a repentant kind of person does your i mean gentlemen brothers does your wife would she say this man is tender about his sin he isn't stubborn would she say that ladies would, would your husband would your children say about you she's very tender-hearted about her sin she's quick to admit when she's wrong what would jesus say about that i haven't seen him for a while uh, so this is uh what he says to them everything turns on this will these people who who think there's something and they're not will they be eager and zealous in their repentance this is not something we need to be afraid of there we can make a you know we can make a uh, for the cross we can be forgiven we can be free we can be cleansed we can have white garments we can have we can have spiritual insight we can have value that's given to us by jesus but not until we're quick to honestly repent there's no sin that we can't be free from through christ by repenting honestly getting that under the blood have you had have you ever had that phrase that's under the blood that's under the blood how wonderful is that that's true but it's under the blood of christ this is a this is encouraging that's why he says as many as i love i discipline i rebuke i and he says and he and he says to them look in verse 18 of the verse uh, i'm sorry verse uh, 20 behold i stand at the door and knock if anyone hears my voice and opens the door i'll come in to him and eat with him and he with me jesus like you've seen a vision of the risen christ in power and glory and might and strength and awesomeness and he's standing outside the door and he's gently knocking and you can hear his voice what amazing humility think about the laodiceans how they would have heard this they would have been people who were forced to billet roman soldiers the soldiers didn't stand at the door and quietly knock they're like by the force of roman law you will house me and you'll feed me as long as i want but the king of the universe stands at the door and he gently appeals he stands at the door and he knocks and what does he ask i want to sit down with you i want to dine with you I can tell you a personal story uh, our anniversary was the 8th of september 
I'm lying in bed in the morning of the 8th of September, and I said to Lois, can I take you out for breakfast? She says, no, bring me breakfast in bed, which I took to mean she wanted me to go get her sandwich from McDonald's and bring it to her in bed. She, that's what we knew, I knew that's what she meant. So I went in town to do some other things, and I went out of my way to, to get the sandwich that she wanted, and I brought it back, and I handed it to her. I just handed her the bag, and I said, breakfast in bed. Then I went to groom, and she came in, and she said, this isn't really funny. And I said, what? She goes, look at this sandwich. And they had, it's supposed to have an egg in it, and it didn't have an egg. What's a breakfast sandwich without an egg? You know, she's like, this is not really the way, I, you know. This was, so she had a little fun with that. I heard her talk to the kids later in the day. Said, yeah, he threw me breakfast in bed with no egg. I was like, I go, hey, that's not the way that was. I remembered uh, some anniversaries. We've gone to uh, Holmes County, Ohio, the Amish country in Ohio. There's a restaurant in Walnut Creek that has a bank of glass windows against the north wall that goes over this valley. It's the most beautiful place. And I remember some evenings when we would go there together on our anniversary to save up our money and sit in that window. And I just felt like I could stay there for hours. Our anniversary is in the fall of the year. And I remember looking at her and thinking, past, of all the things we've done together, all the things we've been through together, and talking about those things. And then talking about the things that we want to do in the future. And feeling a bond and a love and a fellowship like you couldn't have with any other human being in the world. This is what Jesus is saying to you. Like, I want to come in and have fellowship with you. But you don't think you need me. You're not willing to repent of anything. You think you're okay. You got it. But if you would come to the door and open the door, I would come in and I would have fellowship with you. I have intimacy with you. I would listen to your burdens. I would say encouraging words to you. Can you imagine two couples sitting in that place and just, just sharing, the, just having a rich fellowship and things they agree about and things that they love. And at the end of the evening, you think, the only reason we went home is because we were tired and we had to go home, not because we wanted to stop. This, this is the kind of, this is the thing that Jesus is offering to these stubborn people who don't think they need anything. And this is the thing that Jesus is offering to us, praises be unto God, young person. Do you know what it's like to have fellowship with God? Do you know what that feels like, what it looks like? Because that's what you need to be working on as you get older. Is to, is to, when I was a kid, I would hear messages, good messages, about you know, people that prayed for hours or missionaries that did amazingly heroic things. And you know, they write books about people that do heroic things. So that's kind of good and kind of hard, right? I would go home, I, I remember one time in the little house on Mill Street in Utica, Ohio, I heard a wonderful story about a praying man, and I thought, I need to, that's my problem, I don't pray like I ought to. And so I went to my little room upstairs at, on that little place in Mill Street, went by there not long ago, and I got on my knees and decided that I was going to pray like that. You, you know where I'm going with this, right? So I'm a kid, I'm 14 at the time, and I, and I got on my knees, and I started praying, and and I thought, I want to be this, I want to be a great man of God. I want to be a saint of God. So I started praying and praying and praying. I prayed of everything I could think of praying. All, all the people I could think of praying for, all the missionaries I could think of, all the sins I could imagine confessing, and, and my neighbors and my enemies and my friends. And, and then I kind of ran out of steam. 
and I couldn't think of anything more to pray. And then I looked at my watch, and I had prayed for like seven minutes, right? You've had this experience? And I thought, I don't think I'm going to be a great man of God. It's just, I just, I prayed everything I know to pray, and I, it only took me, set my first message. You guys will never see this, but it took me six minutes. I said everything I knew about Job at the rest home in six minutes. You're like, oh, God, bring that man back to us. That was me back then. Your young person, I, I will tell you this, though, just to encourage you. And that is, don't think you've got to pray so long so God will be happy with you. But just think of God as your friend who loves you. Think of God as the one who cares more about you than anybody else in the world. Who understands your sin and died for you. Who will be with you every day of your life. And then just tell him whatever's on your heart. And if you make a mistake, tell him about the mistake that you made. And if there's something you want, Tell him what you want and let him correct you if it's not a good thing. And learn to fellowship with the Lord and it'll be sweet to you throughout your whole life. This is what he offers. Is even if he's locked on the outside of your life and even if you sin in egregious ways, he says, behold, look at this. I stand at the door and knock. If anyone comes and opens the door, I'll come in and I'll have fellowship with them. It's a wonderful thing. Wow. And then he gives a promise to the overcomers. Verses 21 and 22. Those who overcome. Nike, right? To the one who conquers, I'll grant to him to sit with me on my throne, as I also conquered and sat down with my father on his throne. This is an interesting promise. So he's gone from, you make me sick, and I... I want to throw you up. Literally means that. Because you don't think you need anything. But if you are zealous and repent, I'll have fellowship with you. And I'll go beyond that. I, like I was welcome to sit on my father's throne. You are welcome to sit on my throne. Now, now, for the best idea of what that looks like, all you have to do is keep reading. What's after chapter 3? Chapter 4 and chapter 5. And if you read chapter 4 and chapter 5, what do you have? You have a picture of the throne room of God in two gorgeous chapters of the Bible. And they are amazing when you think there's lightning and there's thunder and there's this crystal sea, a sea of glass. And there's jasper and carnelian and light and 24 elders and and the four living creatures singing and saying, holy, holy, holy is the Lord God Almighty. And there's God on the throne and the slain lamb. And he says this, I invite you into this victory. You talk about going from the pinnacle to the pit to the pinnacle, right? From you make me sick to sit on my throne and share in my victory. This is the, but what's got to be in between? Eager repentance. Never changes. It's, it's, I, I, I see who you are. I see who I am. I humbly acknowledge it. And, the, and this, is, this is fascinating. I, I listened to a message, saw a message by the past president of Moody Bible Institute, uh, Dr. Joe Stoll. And I'll tell you a little, a little tidbit, so if we have a minute. Across town at Loomis Park Baptist, um, the pastor there um, uh, years ago, many, many years ago, was a, a pastor named Pease. Many, many years ago, uh, when it was still downtown and before the church burned down, Pastor Pease's daughter married a guy named Stoll, their grandson, Pastor 
Joseph Stoll, the president of Moody Bible Institute. So you, when you get a chance to teach Sunday school, do it because you might have a little Joseph Stoll in your Sunday school class right here in humble Jackson, Michigan. Isn't that great? Joseph Stoll is a capable preacher, and, and on Day of Discovery, he preaches through these messages to the churches in Revelation, and he says that when he had gone to Patmos on a tour and was teaching. Can you imagine this? And he's teaching the people um, the, the, the stories of the letters to the churches. And when he's on Patmos, a lady goes to a, a little shop, and she sees a, a necklace that looks that has a cross on it, and it has some Greek letters. And Joseph Stoll has been saying to her, if you get all confused about Revelation, just remember one thing. The message of Revelation is this. Jesus wins. That's the whole thing. Jesus wins. If you're confused about everything else, any little child can read Revelation. No, the message of Revelation is, in the end, Jesus wins. So she goes to this little shop and she sees these little Greek letters and, and she says to the shop owner, what are the, what's the meaning of the Greek letters? And he says, that's uh, Christos. Uh, that's the name of Jesus. And Nike overcomes victory. Oh, she says, you mean it says Jesus wins. He says, Christos victory. Yes, Jesus. Yes, that's what that it means. Jesus wins. She came back to the group. She says, look what I have. I have, I have, a, little, I have a little locket that says Jesus wins. Stoll said, I love that. He, he was about to turn 60. He said to his children, I'd like you to make me a ring with those Greek letters on them. Every day of his life, he wears a ring that says Jesus is victor. Jesus wins. This will be a great help to us in the dark days that we are sure to face in this nation that's turning away from God and that Jesus is the victor over everything. Think about that just for a minute. Next year, there will be another champion and only the really astute will remember who the champion was last year in whatever sport we're talking about. Next year, a few years, only the most obsessed will remember that. But Jesus will reign victorious wherever the sun does its successive journeys run. His kingdom will stretch from shore to shore till moon shall wax and wane no more. You recognize that song? Let me quote the whole thing. Jesus shall reign wherever the sun does its successive journeys run. His kingdom will stretch from shore to shore till moon shall wax and wane no more. To him shall endless prayer be made and praise his throng to crown his head. His name like sweet perfume will rise with every morning sacrifice. People in realms of every tongue dwell on his love with sweetest song. And infant voices still proclaim their early blessing on his name. Blessings abound where'er he reigns. The prisoners leap to loose their chains. The weary find eternal rest, and all who suffer want are blessed. So let every creature rise and bring honors peculiar for a king. Angels descend with songs again, and earth repeat the loud amen. Jesus invites this dead church to a living Christ, this loser church, to eternal victory in Christ. And he invites us. His victory will be universal. His victory will be eternal. Satan will oppose him. Demons will resist him. Others will try to distort who he is. They do this in our day. Some will hate him. More will hate him in the future. But now and forever, Jesus Christ 
is victor, and he welcomes us into his victory. We may experience sorrow, sadness, need, and yet Christ is victor. We may sometimes seem to lose a skirmish here and there, but he will one day return with all the saints and all the armies of heaven, and all the world will know, and every knee will bow, and every tongue will confess that Jesus is the victor. Satan will sometimes claim a temporary victory here and there, and it will break our hearts. He'll claim a victim here and there, but overall and forever, Jesus is the victor. Jesus is victor, and he offers to share this great victory with all of us who will eagerly repent. Does anybody here today want to give him praise for that? All of God's people say, amen. All of God's people say, hallelujah. All of God's people say, come Lord Jesus. Who wants to give him praise? Who wants to bless his name today? Think of this one day when we see his face. We see him coming with the armies of heaven. We join him in coming in the armies of heaven. We'll be glad that we recognize that Jesus is victor. So in that quiet time this week, you might ask yourself, is my Bible more important to me or is the news more important to me? Well, sports more important to me? Is Facebook more important to me? Or is prayer more important to me? If I compare the time I spent on social media to the time I spent cultivating my fellowship with the Lord, how does that compare? Does, do I worry most about political superiority or my political people winning or, or pre- prevailing? Or do I care most about Jesus' great victory? Do I love things that are evil or questionable or things that are good and pure? Do I abhor evil and cleave to that which is good? Is the church that I attend more seeker-friendly or Jesus-friendly? Uh, is Jesus welcome? Are his needs and desires paramount? You see, that's the thing. When I was a boy, I would love to go to my grandpa Shipley and my grandma Shipley's little house in South Bend, Indiana. Or it was right on the border of Michigan and Indiana. It was just a tiny little house, green asbestos shingles. They added on over the years just to make a little breezeway. You'd go through the breezeway into the house, and when you go to the restroom, there, there on the wall of the little living room was a, was a print. Uh, it was a famous Christian painting from my grandma's house. I was a little boy, I remember standing and looking at that painting and thinking it really looked thought-provoking. It was a, but later on, I discovered that it was a painting done by a man from Chicago, Illinois, named Warner Salman, the same painter who did what they call Salman's Head of Christ, a famous painting of Jesus' face. This was the, but this was a different painting. It was a painting of Warner Salman where Jesus was standing at the door of the church knocking on the door of the church somebody said once they looked at the painting and they said you made a mistake on this painting if you look close you you forgot to put a handle on the outside of the door he said that wasn't a mistake the door has to be open from within i remember as a little boy standing there with my grandmother and looking at that and my grandmother said you know what that is right kenny i said no she said, like, that's the door of your heart. And Jesus is standing on the outside of the door, and he wants to come in. My grandma was right. Jesus wants to come in to the church, to my heart, to yours. 
And if you're a believer, you, you welcomed him in. And if you're a tenderhearted believer, you welcome him in over and over and over again. And he brings his victory into your life. May God give you grace to be eager to repent so that he will come in over and over again and bring his victories.